It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to the show today. Today, my guest is Mike O'Neill, one of the leading experts on LinkedIn and social selling, how you use social media to find new prospects and close deals. And he's also co-author of the book, Rock the World with LinkedIn. Mike, how are you today? Awesome, Andy. That's awesome. fantastic. A, so, a great summer. Oh, good. Good, good, good. So rather than have me read some canned pitch that you sent me about who you are and so on, take a minute, introduce yourself to the audience. What do you do and who do you do it for? Oh, sure, sure. Um, I, I grew up in Minnesota. And I was always a kind of curious type and went to engineering school with lots of curiosity and uh, found engineering very hard, actually. <laughs> it's really hard here. Um, and I got a PC when I was in college, so I kind of found a way out a little bit. I still did, did graduate and all, but I, I got involved in computers real early on, you know, with floppy disks, two of them. Sure. Remember that? One to start. Oh, I, I remember those days, unfortunately. Lotus 1, 2, 3 and WordStar and... You know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's what got me my, my job out of college, quite frankly, is uh, not that I had an engineering degree, but that I'd opened up an IBM PC and I could describe what was inside. So what was that job? A PC technical specialist at Ramada Hotels at their corporate headquarters. And let me, let me just share, this is one of my favorite stories. If you, you don't even need to be really technical to understand it, but it's a technology story. The, the hotels, when, when, they're, when, they're, when they're wiring up their hotels back to corporate, they have, a, they have a wire, essentially, that goes on back. It looks like one of those airline schedule, airline kind of things with hubs, right? All those wires coming on in. Right. And picture it. 750 of those. And the, the year prior, they had snipped all of those cords, and they'd put an IBM PC in every single hotel property with a dial-up modem and a little printer. That was that was amazing technology for the time. Amazing technology. I'm at headquarters, and there's a mainframe that has 48 Hayes 1200 baud modems attached to the mainframe, no less. What is that? So they pioneered something really amazing, and, and that that's how my career started. I supported that network, and uh, network local area networks came along, and then you know, lo and behold, I ended up working for vendors. You know, working for selling networks um, for, for value-added resellers that sold IBM and Compaq and Hewlett-Packard and that kind of stuff. So and what was your first sales job? My first sales job was selling um, I, uh, local area networks um, that had IBM PS2 model 25s and 30s for workstations. Those were first, what, early personal computers from IBM? Um, this was after the PC. This is when the three-and-a-half-inch floppies came out from IBM. Right, right when that happened, sort of. Compaq was, 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 was going from portables to desktops. There was real competition here. And it was the three-and-a-half-inch floppy that, that kind of delineates this. The previous machines had five-and-a-quarters. And we sold, we sold a network where you'd buy the, 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 the computers and the network and the servers and the support and all that sort of stuff from us. And, you know, I kind of worked for a few different companies doing that and stuff, but I, I got really good at it. And well, before I, long, these networks were attached to the internet. So what what made you good at it? Um, I'm really good with kind of schematics 
And I always ask questions of what's that for and why, why that? You know, why can't we? I've always kind of done that and I kind of learned it actually from that first job. You know, I was really, I, I, I had been testing computer products for years. People just send you all kinds of stuff and you just test it. Because we were written up in PC Week magazine and spotlighted. So just all of a sudden, everyone who made a product just shipped it all to us. Just ship it, ship it, ship it. Um, but it isn't long before, you know, you know, you, you know having, having a, a, a blanket isn't enough. And now you're trying to score a whole bed sheet in that a PC isn't enough. You want to be involved with networks. And then the network's not enough. Now you want to be involved in a wide area network where you're linking offices together and doing more interesting things. And I got involved in that, working in telecom space. I helped launch DSL at US West. So as a vendor to US West? As an employee in the small business group. Very cool. So you were selling DSL services to small businesses. Yeah, yeah. Here's an interesting, interesting little sideline. You know, once again, my creativity kicks in just a little bit. Um, our solution at the time, if you had a small office with five employees, to bring DSL to your office was to bring five DSL lines, to put in five more Ethernet adapters in your computer, to set up a, a bridging between two Ethernet adapters in your computer so you could share a DSL connection. You were there at the beginning. That didn't work real well. We sold <laughs> a few, but that didn't work well. So this is what we did. We came up instead with an idea that we'll put a router out there, a Cisco router. And it'll be on the network, just like the PCs. It's just another thing on the network, but that router takes them to the Internet. And now we can have all these computers behind one connection, and I get to sell a router, I get to sell maintenance, installation, a three-year term, lock them in for three years. It was brilliant once again. So describe for the audience how you prospected for new customers at that point in time. Well, at U.S. West, um, they're the incumbent carrier, so that was a slightly different situation. They, uh, people have the letter of the A and, and the alphabet, and all they do is call A's all year long, year after year after year. So one person had the A's. Yeah. Philosophically, that's about how it worked. <laughs> what letter did you have? <laughs> I supported all of these sales reps as their backup sales engineer. Got it. As a primary sales engineer, I backed them up when something came up that wasn't voice services, more technical. You know, my gosh, they're asking about connecting their offices up. Put them on the line. Let's get Mike. Then I managed a team of four people eventually doing the same, the same thing. We just got too big. Too many data services being sold to small businesses. We had to expand in the department. So when the customers were looking at buying this brand new service, this DSL service they had never... Most of them had no idea what it was, really, right? Is, yeah, you know, how much of the selling did you do versus the salesperson? I did all the selling. They just basically wrote up the orders, just turned it over to me. Um, periodically, we'd actually go out to customer sites. And actually, when I was at, at, at US West, it only happened maybe like five times in two, in two years there. But I went to work for, a different, for other telecom companies, and I was seeing customers every day, every morning. Every afternoon, customer tours, big, big meetings with the IT folks, meetings with the other carriers. Because I was just one carrier in their network, and all of a sudden, 
a company like Gates Rubber Corporation or so has got to got to get their local exchange carriers. They got to get their their wide area exchange carriers. The folks that are running their firewalls, all those folks together in a room to hammer out a project. And there I was, pretty cool. So how Real did your cool. how did your selling change during that transition from being a support person to really being really a lead salesperson in many respects? Well, it's it's one of the best jobs you could ever have, quite frankly. I, I enjoyed it more than any job I ever had was in this sales engineer role where the relationship getting started is actually handled by somebody else. And I'm brought in sort of as the the knight in shining armor who's going to solve all of these problems that they've now agreed are the problems to be solved. And so how would the customers react to that because you know there's a lot of stuff being written right now about you know you don't necessarily want to have the sort of bifurcation in your sales force that you want people to have more expertise in the front lines of the sales sales process so. versus you know bringing in the so-called technical expert on something that yeah, things are different now Andy they are things have changed you know that was 10 10 12 years ago much less much less on the truck roll side, a whole lot more on the remote demo, on the conference call, on the screen, screen to screen stuff. Um, things have really changed. You know, the AAISP is really on it with understanding how the process is one where, you know, someone opens the door, then someone else gives the demo, and then someone else asks them about the configuration and pricing, and then someone else does the close or something like that. That segmented process has kind of come on board since then. And so you made reference to the AAISP, that's the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals, for those who hadn't heard that term before. And so you're saying, and one of the big changes you're seeing is that you see that the sales process is more segmented you know, among various groups of people with specific, specific expertise and skills. Yeah, yeah, I would, have been, I would have been a phase three person instead of a phase two person or so. You know, you would have, you would have had to go through a couple levels of... Uh, of, uh, of, of, of qualifying and, 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 and soul-searching on do we need to roll the truck? Does Mike need to go out there or can we do it here? But what gets lost a little bit is that relationship building that happens from when you actually do go to their building and you get to see their office and you get to see the awards on the walls, the kind of, the kind of offices that they live in and the kind of cars that they drive. And, the, you know, you, you just get that... You can't get that through a Skype session. So what's your recommendation when you deal with an entrepreneur or CEO, you know, manager in a small, medium enterprise, asking for advice on how they should structure their sales process? What's your advice? Well, I like to deal with people at a more personal level. And I won't say first, but in the first encounter. Not the first thing of the first encounter. I just had a call yesterday with with a with a a big manager at CenturyLink, for example. And um, in our conversation, we really hit it off. We knew some people in common. Guy on his staff, you know, I went to high school with. Used to work at Sprint. You know, a lot of great things. But I noticed in his profile that he coaches youth sports. This was his LinkedIn profile. Yeah. So while I'm talking to him, well, prior and while I'm talking to him, I noticed that. And, I worked that in about you know a third of the way through it. It was very sincere. You know, I, I mean, I'm right by ball fields here. I I go by youth sports stuff all the time. You know, I really respect that. There's something really special about a parent who takes time to teach kids, not just their own kids, but other people's kids. 
You know, imagine the tension and what it's like to be able to get hard enough with your own kids at 12 of them. That's sometimes easier with other people's kids, yeah. Yeah, there it is. So I got 12 easy ones and one tough one, and the one tough one I got to go home with. Right. <laughs> that one. Um, but it really, it really kind of helped our move our relationship a little bit forward and stuff. And he he turned me on to to his uh, to this manager um, who is a regional regional manager for for uh, CenturyLink as well, and uh, she handles their 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 training programs kind of in the regional and even even national. And I noticed in her profile that she belongs to a group that's about um, multiple children of the same parent, uh, uh, twins and triplets and stuff. I don't, there's a name for it, but you know, the twins, triplets stuff, um, charity that she works with. So in my reaching out to her, I mentioned the first gentleman and I also mentioned, for example, that I said, are you a twin or do you have one or more? Right. That's a different way of doing things a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So what you're saying is that you invested the time prior to reaching out to the first person to look at their LinkedIn profile, understand something about them that on a more personal level that you could connect with and made a point of not just being purely about business, but also trying to build that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to miss an opportunity to, 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 to find something that would really bring us together. I mean, what if he said Pink Floyd on his profile or she, or she said Sheryl Crow. Wow. Or she said Pink Floyd. Yeah. I've double, right. double whammy. Well, yeah, yeah so it sort of brings up an interesting point because increasingly, again, you hear when in the training that being provided to sales development reps these days, you know, frontline appointment setters, if you will, oftentimes in inside sales organizations is pretty explicit about don't waste time talking about anything personal. So what's your take on that? Well, you know, how much time is too much time? You know, it's in, in my in my case here, I, I I'm in this twenty five percent sort of category. I like to keep about twenty five percent of the conversation, twenty five percent of the text, about that much being on the on the personal side. Ten to twenty five. Mm-hmm. So people kinda wonder, well how much? You know, oh gosh, how does that go? Well take it all and divide it all up. If you talk for an hour, that's how many minutes of that is maybe maybe in that in that category. So there's a there's a there's a ballpark for you. People always do ask that question. You know how much? More than zero, less than fifty, twenty to twenty five percent, ten percent. If it's you know just kind of like more factual. But if you're one of these inside sales sales development reps and you're just you're just trying to make that first contact to have a preliminary conversation to be able to set an appointment for the account exec or somebody to follow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to use you've that, got, you've got, that information. You've got, you've got thirty seconds. How much of that is personal? <clears throat> well, in a thirty-second thing, you don't have anything that's personal in there at all. In this, in this, in the sixty-second and ninety-second version of it, you do. Yeah. And what would yeah. that? And what would that be? You know, um, you're you're looking. You're you're taking a third of the of the Steve Richard Vorsight principle, the three by three principle, trying to find one thing to mention. Mm-hmm. One thing worthy, but something that really seems as much as genuine as possible. So you're you're looking you're looking at their profile thing. What of the stuff I have to hear? Which thing do I think here drives them the most? It's going to drive the most emotion. It's going to like make them go like, oh, I'm so glad you asked me about that. Or gosh, you really looked. Which one thing is it? And 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 pick it. It may come not. It may come from the Twitter link off their profile that you got to go look at. Mm-hmm. 
It may come from the status update that they did that you got to go click another link over here and find. Right. You know, those are kind of hidden. Interesting. Okay, we're going to take a break here, a short break. But before we do, Mike, I'm going to give you a question to think about during the break. And we'll come back and answer it afterwards. So the question is, hypothetical situation. You're brought in as a new manager, new sales manager into a company. And you really have a week to start making a difference with this team. So what are the two things you would do that would have in the first week that would have the biggest impact? So we'll get back to that after the break. So stay with us after the break. Michael Neal's continue to share with us his secrets for, and we'll get into more detail about how to use LinkedIn to amp up your sales, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. My guest today is Mike O'Neill, leading LinkedIn expert. You can catch Mike online at integratedalliances.com. That's integratedalliancesplural.com. So, Mike, let's get to the big question I asked you right before the break. You're sure. new sales manager coming into a company. You've got a sales team that maybe just hasn't been hitting it, obviously, because the, they brought in a new manager, you. you got to make a quick impact. What are the two things you'd do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? I would do a social media inventory of the firm. Let's, say, let's just pick a firm that's got... 200 employees. Okay. okay. How many salespeople? 20. 20. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So we're going to do a social media inventory of the company. We're going to go to all the places where we exist, web properties, blogs, anywhere that there's something that's associated with the company. I'm going to grab a screenshot, shift print screen, put it in Word, go to the next one, grab a screenshot, put it in Word. Okay. So we're seeing how we look now. There's a systematic way to improve all of that in a matter of hours to put up new graphics and new words in a matter of hours, a half a day for a person to clean all that up. That's the first step. So how did fill us in just a little bit on that. How do they do that so quickly? Well, they pretty much all have a head, a header image that's about the same look. You know, it's about... 1,400 wide by about 400 mm -hmm, tall. Mm -hmm. You know, on Facebook, guess what? It's pretty similar. On Twitter, pretty similar. You know, if you've got a YouTube channel, pretty similar. They're that, you know, three times as wide as tall, roughly. Right. So chances are they don't look the same. They don't look good. They, they don't look like they were brought in, you know, out of the same block of wood, certainly. They were done at different times, and no one ever took this sort of 30,000-foot approach. So there's a start. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we revamp those, you know, and this is my, this is my shortcut for revamping this stuff. we got a great shortcut. We use PowerPoint, and we create our little layout of either the picture we want or the picture we want with the text on top of it or the text with the logo. However we want these headers to look, we're going to do it in PowerPoint, and we're going to cut it out with a screen-cutting tool. 
You ever heard of that? No, I mean, just like a screen grab? Yeah, yeah. Uh, specifically a screen grab of about 1,400 pixels wide <laughs> by about 400 tall. But yes, that, that, kind, that sort of thing. You're cutting right. a piece of the screen out. And, and when you upload, you can adjust this a little bit. Mm -hmm. so, so what we do for graphics, we do this for words as well, because pretty much all of them have a certain amount of space, a thousand characters or so, that we're going to be able to describe the company. You know, our company, ELP Corporation, sells these products to these companies and these places, and our customers get these great benefits, ABC out of it, something like that. Your, your basic piece that you're going to put on the homepage of your website, on your on your company page on LinkedIn, on your Facebook page, you know, in these places. It's, it's relatively standard. It's not hard to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, because chances are it looks pretty bad and pretty inconsistent right now. So is there, uh, is there value to having within a company, having, you know, the LinkedIn profiles and the, the social presence fairly standardized and have sort of a corporate look and feel? Well, I'm talking about in, in this scenario here, Andy, I'm talking about pages and not profiles. I'm going to okay. get to profiles in a moment. Okay. But ex right. ex exactly. So the answer is yes, and that's okay. the next topic. All right. Okay? Um, but doing something here um, is this, this is something that's marketing's role, and it's a half a day's work for marketing, what I described there. That's all. They're going to spend more time trying to figure out how to get into all the accounts with the user ID and a password than they are actually doing some of this work. It's not hard. By the way, if you can't figure out how to get in, press the little blue button that says, I can't remember my password. Don't wait long. Just two tries and go for it. Right. So now that the company's dolled up a little bit, now it's time to get the employees in line. So employees out there um, are going to be coming in from all different aspects of the area. I mean, you can't, you can't control how they look on LinkedIn for sure. You inherited these people. You don't even know them, right? You didn't hire them. Right. Not in this scenario. Okay. So we'll do an assessment. And it's a t simple 10-point assessment that answers these questions. I'll give you a sample of what some of the questions are for each of the guys on my team. Mm -hmm. Do they have a profile at all? <laughs> How's that? How about a picture? That'd be good. Um, how about a summary? Wouldn't that be nice to have? You know, that'd get your point. A few other things, recommendations and so on. So you've got a, a, a little 10-point score, so you can find out who's a 2, who's a 0, who your 6s are, which are pretty good folks, and you might find you got an 8 somewhere there. You're not going to find a 9 or a 10, most likely. Mm -hmm. Those are a few extra things. For example, to be a 9 or a 10, you would have to have done a status update in the last two weeks. Okay, I'm going to teach you how to do that. You're all going to know how to do that after this training that I'm going to talk about, but um, a lot of you don't know how to do that now. So you automatically, nine is your biggest number because you didn't even know about that. You know, do you have more than 500 connections? Blah, blah, blah. Right. What this does is get you set up to kind of train your team. So you do a lunch and learn training. Do a simple lunch and learn training where people sit, sit around and you eat pizza and stuff and you kind of go around the table and kind of discuss you know, your experience with LinkedIn with someone who's sort of a moderator. I am that sort of moderator, but uh, let's just talk about more and more in general. Someone who's sort of a moderator who's able to, you know, answer people's questions and keep the conversation going. This is a simple one-hour lunch and learn. This is not the training. From that lunch and learn, you un uncover what everyone's issues are. 
Someone, someone takes notes, writes meeting minutes. And from there, we plan, you know, for Thursday of that first week to deliver what is essentially um, an entirely demo and speaker driven LinkedIn training. Mm -hmm. There's no PowerPoint. There's no presentation. You're online and you're talking to the instructor and you're doing real time things right there because the company's already dolled up. We did that on Tuesday or Monday. Mm hmm. You know, the managers, and we know, every, we know the issues everyone has because we found out about that at the Lunch and Learn on Tuesday and Wednesday. So on Thursday, we're highly targeted. We know exactly what to show. Well, here's a question for you. Is, is how, <clears throat> if, what percentage of cases are the companies actually paying? Well, I'd say most salespeople are probably on a free LinkedIn account, right? Or, um, are they on a, or are they on a paid one? You know, let me... Uh, and let me it, let me ask, is, let me ask the question. Really, let me ask really the question. It's really changed quite a bit, but you're right. You're, most are by yeah. far. Most are. Yeah. Let me ask the question in two parts. So, let's say somebody is on a paid account. They're paying it on their own nickel. You know what? How much control realistically do employers have over the look and feel and content of an individual employee's LinkedIn profile? I mean, obviously, if they're paying for it, they have, they have a lot complete control. They have a lot, Andy. It's called okay. a social media policy. And these okay. are terms and conditions for being an employee at the firm. You know, you're not going to have a beard down to the ground. You're, you're going to wear shoes. You're going to wear a shirt. You're going to do these things. It's a condition of employment. If, if the employer asks you to send something out, to email something out to a client, or they send you to send it out as a message on LinkedIn, it's no different. And but are you seeing that? handled in a social media policy. It's fairly advanced, actually. A lot of these things are known but not written down. Right. So is there someplace online that companies, somebody listening to this can go and find a sample social media policy? You know, I don't show one. All of the ones we've done have been for clients and I don't kind of have a genericized one. It's a good idea. Maybe I could do something like that. Yeah, so, I think, I think yeah the ideal social media policies are four to five pages, six pages, something of such nature. They're not big, long documents and they're not a quick page or two. They identify the do's. And the don'ts, and what happens if one crosses a line? It's just just like just like school that says, you know what? You'll shut the door, you'll flush the toilet, you'll do the, the, these little things out here. In this case here, if we ask you, you know, the, yeah, if an order comes in over LinkedIn, I expect you to copy and paste the text from that order into Salesforce.com so we can maintain that information. Right. You know, it's doing just what you said. It's telling them what to do on LinkedIn. You're gonna go copy and paste from LinkedIn over into here. It's part of your job. If you're going to work here, this is how we do it. Well, it's interesting to say social media policy. They're going to take it from LinkedIn and cut and paste it into Salesforce because, you know, as you know, the big issue with Salesforce and many companies is not that they don't have it; it's that it's not used and updated. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you want to hear some some really wonderful things about about LinkedIn over here? Is you know, when the employee leaves, if they have a free account or a basic paid account, they take all that information with them. It's like someone walking away with, with, your, with, with, with you know, your corporate database in some cases. I, loosely so, okay? I'm just trying to have a loose. Right. And, and, and in the other case, um, when, someone, when someone leaves and their Salesforce information stays with the company when they leave. There's a difference, see? Kind of take it with you. Now, with the new LinkedIn Sales Navigator program, it's even trickier. 
It gets really tricky. Because? Well, with LinkedIn Sales Navigator, it depends on who's paying for the account. If the company is paying for the Navigator account for their employees, then when the employees leave, that license stays with the company. The company's paying for it. They own it. But they don't own the data. The data is deleted, destroyed, ignored, put to rest. All those leads, all those communications, all that LinkedIn inbox stuff on the Navigator side, it's not there anymore. If the employee terminates it. If the, if the employee leaves the company and the company is paying for that Navigator license, the company gets to keep the Navigator license, but nobody gets to keep the data. Hmm. Very interesting. All the reason for that copy-paste into, my, into Salesforce.com that I was describing and the reasons to have an updated social media policy, Andy. That's why. All right. Well, that's a great point. I, mean, I think that, that uh, maybe we'll have you back on a future episode and talk about more in depth about what should be in the social media policy and perhaps uh, maybe at that time you could even share a, a sort of standardized example for listeners to the show because I think they'd find that pretty interesting. As you said, it's fairly cutting edge and... and increasingly important it goes way beyond just the conversation we're having here about you know linkedin sales navigator because you know heck it's, it's always been this way about what if someone sends you uh, uh an order to your private gmail account we'll go hillary clinton here for a moment what if something happens with your private gmail account well it goes deeper than that i mean theoretically as you know employees if you're out on being paid by a company developing new contacts all that information theoretically should stay with you, but we all know that it walks out the door with the employees. Oh. Yes. Yes, we do. That's right. We just don't need to have software that helps that happen. <laughs> yeah, well, now let's see if their software can help it not happen. So, um, good. So let me sort of wrap up here in the next few minutes with some uh, just a random questions, you know, rapid fire questions, one word answers, stream of consciousness, or you can elaborate if you wish. What's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Cell phone. Okay. Name one tool you use for sales management that you can't live without. Whiteboard. So what is whiteboard? A whiteboard. Just a regular whiteboard, not an app. Yep, not an app. And how do you use it for sales management? Just list accounts or opportunities? I, 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 scrape, I scrape the board every day and put up to date what I'm doing today. And I, and I scrape off the things that I didn't do yesterday. Um, I kind of have my today, tomorrow, this week sort of thing. And as I write things down with a pen, it, it instills it in me. Yep. All right. I agree. I know. I had to do some flow charts recently and I... I just couldn't sit down at the computer and mind map it out. I had to do it physically on a whiteboard first, and then I transferred hey, it to. Here, here's my. Hey, I got a great tip for you for, for that. I seriously, and someone taught me this. I did not invent this myself. Post-it notes on a on a on a, on a sliding glass door or, or a whiteboard somewhere. Yep. Yeah, that's what I did. It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, that that really helped. That really helped the thinking. So I I kept redrawing squares everywhere, and I go like, I can do I can do better than this. You know, sharpie and some post-it notes. All right, that's great. So, who's your sales role model? Uh, Rich Blakeman from Miller Hyman. Okay, and why? 
Um, he was a real early on sales leader, um, selling um, sales training um, to the same kind of companies that I, I really respected. And he, he brought me on board to a Miller Hyman event where we, we trained their, their customers in, in Lake Tahoe and all. Mm -hmm. And um, his style was just so smooth and so wonderful and it was just so effortless. You know, some, just some, for, sales is hard for some people and it's just so easy and natural for others. And Rich was one of the more natural people I think I've ever seen. Got Chad it. Burmeister would be the other. Chad, if he's listening, well, shout out to Chad. So yeah, he's he's no, he's he's really number he's number one current. Rich and I go back quite a ways. All right. What's the one book that every salesperson should read? The Little Red Book of Selling from Jeffrey Gittimer. Your favorite music to listen to to psych yourself up for a sales call? Live concert music from Pink Floyd or bands of such nature. What's the first sales activity that you do every day? I clear out all of my calendars and all of my inboxes when I'm still in bed from my iPhone before my feet touch the floor. What do you do to keep fit and healthy? I go on walks. Any place in particular? I got a lake right by me. That's yeah, great. I go two, three, four times around the lake sometimes. I don't realize it, and then my knees start to tell me it's time. I mean, I'm, 50, I'm 55, and I just kind of forget where I am. The one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople is? How can I improve my LinkedIn profile? Last question for you. What do you consider your greatest success outside of work? Ah, attending a thousand concerts and remembering a third of them. <laughs> Which concerts? What's one of your favorite uh, besides Pink Floyd? Uh, Fleetwood Mac recently. Uh -huh. this, this this last year. Um, Paul McCartney last August. Forty-two songs. What's the first concert you went to? Elvis Presley. Whoa. Nineteen seventy-two. Wow. Okay. Thin Elvis. I was going to say, not many people can make that claim. That's a good one. Went with mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, and my sister. It was the days of flash cubes. Yeah. Instamatic cameras. Flash, flash, flash. Boom. Another, another cube. And Formal was, flash. And was grandma grooving to Elvis? Yeah, they're grooving. They used to go see Elvis in, in Las Vegas um, every year to all together. Very cool. All right. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I want to thank our guest. Mike O'Neill, make sure you visit Mike's website at integratedalliances.com. And if you want to learn about how to use LinkedIn in your business to find, identify, develop new prospects, new orders, bring new orders into the company, check out Mike's website and the services he offers. And remember that if you're an entrepreneur, you're in sales. And if you're in sales, you're an entrepreneur. So make it a part of your day every day to learn something new to help you amp up your business. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.